So my name is Tori Whiting. I'm a research associate at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. And with Heritage, I work in our Center for International Trade and Economics. So I primarily work on our Index of Economic Freedom, which grades 186 countries around the world on 12 economic factors. But I also do a lot of work on trade policy. Uh, specifically, I cover some of our trade agreements and different types of trade policies like Buy America and tariffs on intermediate goods that really impact manufacturing in America. Um, before we get into the trade, what is our, what, where, where's the U.S. right now in your rankings for economic freedom? I believe the United States is currently ranked number 11. Uh, we've actually had a decrease in economic freedom in America in eight of the last nine years. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, really extreme government spending, a lot of Keynesian economics in there, a very, very large and growing regulatory state, which the Trump administration has uh, made enormous efforts to uh, to cut down that I actually just read an article uh, on the second page of the Wall Street Journal today highlighting all of the work that the, that the Trump administration has done on deregulating and I think a lot of that you don't really see it because a lot of it is kind of more under the radar but it really has a huge impact on people being able to do business. So we might be able to overtake Estonia this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> um, all right, so talking about trade, um, one, another thing that the Trump administration is um, really focusing in on is NAFTA. Started renegotiating that this summer, right? Correct. Well, actually, renegotiations are, are currently happening. So the fourth round um, just happened. And, uh, you know, the, for the Heritage Foundation, you know, the priority, if, if a renegotiation were to happen and, and now is, would be to focus on modernizing the agreement. I mean, you're looking at an agreement that was put into place, you know, it came into effect in 1994, right? I was, I was a year old when that happened. Um, and in the last, you know, 20 so years, the economy in America and around the world has just grown exponentially. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of things like digital trade and the internet. Um, those things didn't really exist 20 years ago. And so it's, it's important for us to look at our trade agreements like NAFTA and think about how we can we can modernize those and we can include those types of trade in the agreement and, and help those things flow easily between United States, Canada, and Mexico. The other important thing about a NAFTA renegotiation is taking the opportunity to eliminate more barriers to trade. The original agreement didn't include some sectors such as Mexico's energy sector. And so this is a great opportunity to focus on lowering more tariffs and more tariff barriers like subsidies. So. If I were to ask you, what is the, what are the two or three best things about NAFTA? What would, what would you say? You know, this is what's really good about NAFTA, specifically. <laughs> well, I'd say the the number one best thing about NAFTA is it's it's allowed the United States, Mexico, and Canada to become a, a region of just this immense manufacturing competitiveness. And we're one of the best manufacturing hubs as a as a continent in the world. We do it great and we've got fantastic supply chains that allow us to be efficient and effective uh, with the, the products that we do produce. And um, it's just really, you know, you hear a lot of times, and, and this is true, that manufacturing jobs in the United States have decreased uh, over the last 20 years or so. And that's, and that's true. And a lot of that is attributable to technology and change. But what NAFTA has allowed us to do is to do more with less. And it has allowed us to 
increase our manufacturing output over the last 20 years by roughly 60%. So you're just looking at this huge exponential growth on how much in the value of what we're producing. So you mentioned the supply chain. Um, now, my, my, my thought on that is, so what you mean is we've got factories all spread out throughout the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and making different components for a final product, and wherever that final that factory is that does the final assembly, it, NAFTA has cleared up some of the bureaucratic hurdles and other problems in getting those components to the main factory. Correct. Yeah, great example of this. Um, yeah, I'm a Michigander, so I'm going to talk about Michigan a little bit. Um, but a great example of this is there is a Mexican company um, that is the number one producer of brakes uh, that's located in, located in Mexico um, and has three plants in the United States, two in Michigan and one in Ohio. And so they produce some, they produce brake rotors yeah. primarily. Um, so they produce some things in Mexico and then bring them up to Michigan or Ohio to be further processed. And then guess what, right there, you have the big three. You have the huge manufacturing base in a state like Michigan um, that is a, uh, that is prime and, and ready to just use those brakes and to, to produce vehicles and they get exported all around the world. All right, let's say the, the negotiations fall apart and NAFTA is eliminated and we've got, you know, we're back to individual trade policies and with Canada and, and Mexico. What would, um, what would be the most noticeable, the first thing that we would notice that would change if NAFTA went away? Well, I think that right now, uh, in a, an elimination of NAFTA, is the effects are really unknown. Um, you know, the United States did have an agreement with Canada prior to NAFTA, and that was kind of roped into the agreement with the three countries. And so, you know, folks are, are wondering, you know, if we were to pull out of NAFTA, if the Canada agreement would then, you know, fall back into place. Um, but it's it's... It's really unknown, and I think the most important thing about that point there is that um, you're looking at a lot of uncertainty for business. I think the most important thing about the renegotiation right now is creating certainty. You know, when you have suggestions of having things like a five-year sunset review on the agreement or um, strengthening the rules of origin, a lot of those things are cutting into the ability of businesses in the United States to be able to plan for the future. And they don't plan a year in advance. They plan 5, 10, 15, 20 years in advance. And so they really need that security and that confidence that the agreement is going to be there and that they're not going to have to pay additional tariffs and taxes to be able to maintain their current supply chains. Now, the number one thing that is uh, number one criticism against NAFTA for the past, you know, 25 years has been I used to have a factory job in my small town in Indiana, and now my factory just moved to, to Mexico, so I'm out of a job. So what would, if NAFTA went away, would that mean an end of outsourcing? I mean, would that, would that put a, a cramp on outsourcing to Mexico? Would, you know, would, would there be some, would that opinion be validated at all? You know, I think that this takes me back to, to Ross Perot and the giant sucking sound um, that always makes me laugh when I think about it. But um, I think that there's there's really no way to, to really figure out 
you know, what the ramifications would be and if any of those jobs would come back to the United States. And I think the more important thing to think about is how do we make the United States the most competitive and most efficient place to do business? And part of that, you know, goes to addressing some of the government policies that are impairing businesses to, to work here and to create jobs here. And in the, for that, I look at things like tax reform. Uh, we have the highest combined corporate tax rate in the developed world in the United States. Um, and regulatory, like I mentioned before, and, and you know, the administration's already working on some of that. We're supposed to be getting a tax plan out of the House tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, and so I think that trade, and specifically NAFTA, has been blamed for a lot of the ills of the world, a lot of the ills of the country. And I think that, you know, a great, a great method to address some of those things would be to look internally and to look at the government policies that we have in place that are, that are hurting business. Another great example is the EPA, uh, just, you know, regulating things to death. I heard a story the other day um, that uh, there's a, you guys are not allowed to mine here in, in northern Wisconsin, and that is really uh, putting a constraint on the types of investment and, and you know, business that can happen here. Uh, yesterday, when you at, at the, the talk that you gave, you were saying how the U.S. doesn't really have a trade deficit if you consider other factors. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So the trade deficit is a really misleading statistic. Um, basically, what it looks at is only the flow of goods and services from the United States to another country. Um, but there's a really important part of trade that's missing, and that's foreign direct investment. Just like how goods and services are being flowed through trade, foreign direct investment is the flow of money going from one country to another. And you know, different economists agree or disagree on whether or not the trade deficit is a good measure or whether or not um, consumption or production is the way that we should measure prosperity in the United States. But I think it's very, very important to take into account the entire picture. And in order to do that, you do have to look at foreign direct investment. And so when you look at you know, the United States having a certain trade deficit with a country or overall, and then you add in foreign direct investment, it pretty much eliminates the trade deficit. So, okay. No, that's good. So if you throw it all together, we have a, a trade investment surplus. <laughs> well, I mean, really what it is is it, it just is um, the flows are constantly moving. Right, and if you if you buy something from China, for example, in American dollars, what is the Chinese company going to do with American dollars? They're going to invest in the United States. Yeah. So if we um, so right now, if you look at a part of the pie, it looks like okay, the U.S. has a trade deficit. If you look at the total, the grand total, yep. we we've got a surplus. You well, start, not a surplus. What? It's in. All it's right. an even. Everybody, all right. Account. Everybody's winning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trade is a win-win. And so if we started, um, potentially if we started putting restrictions on trade, the grand total would start going down to where we would have an actual trade deficit. Um, well, either way, or, it's going gonna, it's gonna to even out. It's just kind of the way that the, um, that the flows of goods and services and investment works is it, it evens out. Okay. Um, but putting restrictions on trade is, I like to think of it as a, it is restricting the freedom of Americans to just choose what they want to buy, right? When you go to the grocery store and you want to buy an avocado when it's cold out in October, thank God we have NAFTA because you can get avocados from Mexico. <laughs> now, um, you talk uh, a little bit about foreign direct investment, too. 
And uh, would you be able to, what, what is the, the impact of foreign direct investment here in, here in Wisconsin and the Midwest? Foreign direct investment is a huge driver for jobs here in Wisconsin. So foreign companies invest in the United States support 90,000 jobs in Wisconsin. That means 90,000 Wisconsinites have a job because, let's say, Foxconn, a Taiwanese company, you know, that's not included in that number because they actually haven't created any <laughs> jobs yet. Um, but companies like that are, are here creating jobs and their job and the Wisconsinites' jobs depend on that. Um, the biggest the biggest company or sorry the biggest country to invest in Wisconsin is Canada 18,000 jobs in Wisconsin are dependent on Canadian companies coming to the United States and creating jobs in Wisconsin and that's huge so renegotiating NAFTA potentially is putting those 18,000 jobs at risk renegotiating NAFTA if it were to to have results that were detrimental or were to put in jeopardy the existing relationships um, can have serious negative ramifications. And um, where's um, where does Taiwan rate rank on our uh, on our direct investment in Wisconsin, and wh where is it going to rank? <laughs> because you know Foxconn has obviously been the uh, the premier uh, the marquee story of the. Uh, <laughs> of the uh, the past several months, so with an investment that big, you'd think that you know they might jump a few rankings. Yeah, so um, so the numbers that I, I usually look at look at are the top five um, countries that invest in a state. And so, like I mentioned before, Canada is number one. Taiwan is actually not listed in the top five, but it sounds to me that Foxconn is going to be creating several thousand jobs. In Wisconsin, if I'm correct, yeah, and so you know you have the opportunity for Taiwan to really jump up there. I mean, France is number five with uh, just over six thousand jobs. So um, if Foxconn can beat that, who knows? <laughs> so take us through the through the, through the top five real quick. All right. So like I mentioned, number one's Canada with just over eighteen thousand jobs. Um, the UK is number two uh, with about thirteen thousand jobs in Wisconsin. Germany is uh, number three with almost 10,000 jobs. Switzerland, number four with 8,500 jobs. And like I mentioned, France, number five with, with just uh, about 6,600. So, I mean, you are looking at just an immense number of jobs that are reliant on that aspect of trade. Now, are those, are those people that are employed directly by companies that are owned in those countries that have our headquarters in those country because with Foxconn a lot of the talk was you know say Foxconn employs 10,000 people well, you'll have 40,000 people with ancillary jobs you know that feed that you know support that plant um, so this is just looking at folks in the state of Wisconsin that are employed by foreign owned companies so that have factories here in Wisconsin that are employing Wisconsinites um, and, and, you know, another great example that I have is a, a company named um, Alpla that is located, that just announced they're going to be building a plant in West Bend, Wisconsin. And, you know, this company already has, you know, about 14 plants in the United States. But what's great about this particular company and their investment in Wisconsin is the, um, the president of the North American 
part of this company said, we're going to be employing people here in Wisconsin. We're not going to be bringing in workers um, to fill jobs. We want to employ people from the local economy. And I think that's so powerful. And that is really going to change people's lives here in Wisconsin. So with everything that is going on in the, the world today, in the country today, what does the future look like for Wisconsin foreign trade? I think that, you know, with things like NAFTA and our other trade agreements in place, the future for for trade in Wisconsin is really bright. I mean, when you have something like international trade and investment supporting a quarter million jobs here in Wisconsin and, you know, about 20% of private sector employment, that's a huge driving force. That's a really significant portion, and I think that that number could just go up with even stronger relationships. That sounds great. Well, Tori, thank you very much for joining us today on the McIver Podcast. Thank you so much.